0: Uh, But the Bible, you know, I always love when when people try to, like, sterilize the Bible and they try to, like, tone it down. Like, if you made the Bible into a movie, like, children would not be able to go see it. Like, there is some graphic stuff in there. It's like the days of our lives, you know, first century (laughs) Jew Israel, you know what I mean? Days of our lives, Moses, you know what I mean? And and there's some crazy stuff in there and that's I don't know about you But that gives me hope when I read those stories And I read about how dysfunctional some of these people were Uh, It makes hey, man, maybe God could do something with me I don't know if you feel like that, but uh, this story is one of those stories That's out of the book of Matthew, or I'm sorry Mark chapter 5 if you have your Bible or your smartphone Uh, Mark chapter 5 we're gonna be starting in verse 21 and it's the story about the woman who has an issue of blood and so there's this woman, and I'll read the story here in a minute, but there's this woman that she she had this bleeding condition, and we'll get into what that means and all that stuff here in a minute. But she had this bleeding condition for 12 years, man. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here that has struggled with health problems. You know, I, I, I get migraines once in a while. I can't imagine, like, dealing with something for 12 years. And this whole story is her interaction with Jesus and what happens. And so we're going to start in verse 21. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had yet instead of getting better she was getting worse when she heard about jesus she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought if i just touch his clothes i will be healed one translation said if i can just touch the hem of his garment that's very key we'll get into that in a minute if i if i could just touch the hem of his garment i will be made uh, I, will, I will be healed immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was she was freed from the suffering. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Be freed from your suffering. So this woman had this bleeding condition. Now, again, I'm going to give a quick recap on the story. There's this religious, and this is very key, there's this religious leader. He was a synagogue leader, and he comes to Jesus. And in that culture, the religious hierarchy, there was a, there was a high importance placed on people's religious position. So if the religious leader comes to you and says, hey, bro, can you help me out? Like, if you're going to help anybody out, like, that's probably the dude you're going to help out. Unfortunately, because that never happens anymore, right? We don't show favoritism in church environments. Never happened. You know what I mean? But, but anyway, so... J- Jairus comes to, comes to uh, Jesus and he said, and you can tell, there's nothing wrong with Jairus. He doesn't seem like a bad guy. He's broken. He's got a daughter. I've got a two-year-old daughter. I can't imagine uh, my daughter being in a situation where she her life is in danger. Uh, we've been reading about this girl online uh, that's out in California that has this heart thing going on. It's, I can't imagine going through that. And so Jairus comes to Jesus and he says, hey man, can you please help my daughter out? She's sick and she's dying. And so Jesus, absolutely I'll do it, right? And so In the process of this, and you gotta understand, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this, but I want you to imagine, I'm trying to think of who I could use that would be like a neutral figure, uh, a neutral uh, figure, but I want you to imagine somebody famous. I don't care who it is in your mind, whoever you want to picture that person to be, maybe your favorite band, your singer, hopefully not one of these political people, uh, but if it is one of those, imagine somebody famous, right, coming, coming to the city and like a whole motor, you ever see a presidential motorcade? Like there's all these cars, like the Secret Service. Here's a good example, Queen of England. I'll never forget, I was touring in Australia, doing music and the Queen of England, which Australia is still kind of part of the UK. So I was doing shows out there and I remember going through the city called Brisbane, and the Queen of England was coming, and they had this whole thing set up. I mean, it was unbelievable. You would have thought, like, God himself was coming down to uh, to Australia. And they had this whole parade, all this stuff set up, because, th- because this woman was so important, and word had gotten around. That's kind of what was happening with Jesus. Yeah, they didn't have social media. They couldn't go on Instagram or Twitter and say, hey, man, Jesus is coming to your hood. Like, come outside. But word would pass around quick, even in that time and that day. And so I want you to imagine there was this huge crowd Just massive crowd following Jesus. So he's on the way to help this dude and help his daughter. But he's surrounded by all these people. And this woman who has this bleeding issue, uh, she says, hey, and she tells herself in her mind, if I can just get close enough to him. I don't know if you've ever been to a show. Some of you guys went to a show recently. You ever try to push your way up front to the front of a concert? Like, you got to kind of fight an elbow and do that side thing, get in everybody's (laughs) face. You know what I mean? I imagine her doing that. And so this woman... She says to herself, hey, if I can just get close enough to Jesus, if I can just get through this crowd, then then I, I know that I will be made well. Now, to understand the gravity of what was happening, this woman and Jesus came from a whole religious tr- tradition that had all kinds of rules and rituals based on what was clean and what was unclean. There was things that would make you unclean and there's things that would make you clean. And if you were considered unclean because you did this or you did that, you couldn't go to the religious community. You couldn't be around people. If you touched people, you made them unclean. Uh, in fact, they believed that if you walked through a cemetery uh, and, you, and you touched a grave, you couldn't go celebrate the religious feast. I mean, there's all these religious uh, things. And I just wanna share a couple things that were attached to this woman because she was bleeding. Now, if you go into the original language and the original uh, context of what was happening with this woman, basically what was happening to her, and I'm gonna try to do this without getting too graphic, uh, she she basically had a period for 12 years. Now, I don't know about you ladies, (laughs) hey, I have a hard time. I better better watch what I say. I, Sarah, you hear me? (laughs) Ah, she looking out here. I love you. No, but seriously, hey, we, we can we can say all that stuff we want. As man, we we wouldn't last a day, right? Amen, guys. But it's it's hard it's hard to it's hard to see someone you love going through that situation for seven years. Right? You imagine, can you imagine, ladies, twelve years? And so she had this condition, and uh, it's it talks about her spending all her money. But I want I want to give you just a quick snapshot of how that played out and what that limited her from doing in society, okay? So, if you look in the book of Leviticus it talks about this whole entire thing and it talks about in the Bible a woman is impure for 7 days from the beginning of her period. Anyone who touches a woman becomes unclean until evening. So if she's going through that whole thing, if you just touch her, like if you're walking through the mall and you bump her, you know, and somebody else sees it, like you're considered unclean until that. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this because man, that's so messed up. That's so like insensitive, right? Hey, Amen, ladies, like what? what how, how am I unclean when this is what enables me to have a baby and you know what I mean, makes me a woman and the guy doesn't, you know, whatever, uh, right? And so if you bump into somebody, you touch somebody, you were, clean, you were considered unclean until evening. Uh, whoever, and this is interesting, whoever touches her bed, and not just her bed, but if you sat in that chair and I sat in that chair after you, I would be considered unclean. And again, we hear this, we think, man, that's so archaic, that's so ancient, those people were crazy. That was an entirely different world that they lived in during that time. So, now, if a woman goes through this for more than seven days, or has an irregular discharge, and this is basically, and I'm trying to keep just keep it kosher, keep it clean, uh, If if she's going through what the woman's going through, on an eighth clean day, the final act of ritual purity involves the bringing of two doves or pigeons to sacrifice. So let's just say she stops bleeding, you know, she has to wait a whole nother day. Then she has to, she has to jump through all these religious scoops to be accepted back into the community, right? And so she has to offer these uh, sacrifices. And then at the end of this, at the end of this whole thing, she would go and she would go into like a baptismal. Pool. It's in Jewish culture. It's called a mikvah, and basically, what it is, it's a big pool that you would go in, and it was for ritual, like bathing, like it was for like a cer, like a ceremonial bathing. I'm gonna do a teaching on that uh, someday soon about baptism, but that was the last thing they did, and after they jumped through all those religious hoops, then they were able to come back into the community, right? Uh, now, in in this culture that this woman was in, and in this time that Jesus lived in, these people compared. The uncleanness of an idol to a woman on her period right and so you see how jacked up like how distorted this whole religious thing had gotten right Uh, they they believed that failure to heed uh, the laws that they had for this was part of the reason why uh, women die in childbirth just imagine the guilt and shame that was being put on these women during that time They were basically saying, hey, that's why she died, because she didn't jump through all these stupid religious hoops. You can see the kind of thing that is going on with this woman. Uh, There's a first century historian. His name is Josephus, and he talks about this in his writings. And he talks about how the the women, when they were going through that, they were not even allowed into the temple. right? And so all the men, think about it. Let's keep it real. Think about how sexist this is. Yeah, all the guys can come in, but you women, you know, you guys can't come in. And in fact, even when when they weren't going through that, they were still kind of kept in a certain area in the temple. It was called the women's court. They weren't allowed in the other spaces that men were allowed in. Again, a very distorted uh, picture of all of it. The social separation of women during this period is further emphasized in the Talmud. They talk about these lengthy periods of uh, separation. And so just imagine, even if you weren't bleeding... For 12 years, like any woman that naturally goes through that, like they were ostracized from their community during that time. They were ostracized. And so here's Jesus. He's walking. This guy says, Hey, my daughter's dying. Can you help me out? And this woman, again, remember everything I just told you? She says, If I can just touch this guy, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be made well. You know what she had to do to touch him? She had to go through the whole crowd. So she was literally risking her life because every person that she touched, she was making them unclean according to their own law, right? And so she was risking her whole life, And, 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 and they talked about how, you know, in that situation, she probably was disguised you know she just imagine that people this was something that the, that the society knew that the religious culture knew they knew who was in and who was out and so i just imagine this woman like was she disguised you know what i mean was she walking with her head down and it says that as jesus now now listen to me as jesus is on his way to help the religious elite she interrupts him right she interrupts him and what i love what i love about that is it tells me at this, at, at this, with this uh, situation, when this happens, it tells me that Jesus doesn't play favorites. Jesus does not play favorites. Like he stops even though he's on the way to the religious leader's house. This woman's condition was just as important as the religious leader. He was interrupted by the woman's touch. Uh, secondly, the text describes her in terms of health. She's a woman with an ongoing condition of blood. Presumably, you know this is this twelve years, uh, twelve year chronic condition. It talks about at one point that she had spent all of her money on doctors, right? And it said that the doctors didn't help her, but she got worse. She got worse. She wasn't getting better. Has anybody gone through that life? Things just kept keep getting worse and worse and worse. You know, based on the story, she's probably a mature woman, a middle aged woman. And although she's able to have children because of this bleeding condition, she's unable to have a baby. I just wonder, and maybe I'm being a little liberal with the text here, but I just wonder, like, did this woman want to have a baby and she couldn't because of her health condition? The text makes no mention of an attendant or maid or a relative, so, so really she's quite alone in the world. And just imagine, again, she's surrounded by this crowd. You know, you, get the, you know, some of the most lonely times in my life, I was surrounded by people. Right. You can be in a crowd of people and have all these people around you and feel alone. She appeared to be alone in the world, living in the shadows. And although she's ill, she's mobile. And again, I I just imagine her being disguised. And this woman. uh, And again, not to get too graphic here, but she would have to go through all of these things to try to try to cover up and hide what's going on with her physical body. She would have to go through, and again, and I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep this uh, g. but she she, have, back then they didn't have what women have now when they go through that stuff, you know what I mean? So you're dealing with, you know what I mean, linen and stuff like that that you have to clean, and you gotta do this, and if you don't clean it right, I'm not, you know, just use your imagination. Moving on, moving on, right? Uh, and so this situation was potentially very embarrassing, and Mark's audience immediately knows the ramifications of an issue of blood for twelve years. Listen, this woman she was an exile in her own community. She was an exile in her own community. Her condition excludes her from worship and community life. In first-century life, it was very important to be connected in community, and the way that you responded and and got together within a religious community she was she was in exile in the midst of all that uh, money wise you know she had spent all of her money she would have been a tremendous burden on her family uh, people who touched her again they would be unclean uh until evening and so just imagine like this woman she lived a solitary life i can't i can't imagine that now some of you guys have heard my story i've been to prison uh i've been in solitary confinement i've been I've experienced some very lonely times in my life, but I still had my family coming to talk to me and coming to visit me. I still had some type of human interaction. I can't imagine what this woman must have gone through. She had spent all of her money and it only increased her suffering. I imagine that life for her was a life without hugs from her friends. Can you just imagine living 12 years without physical touch? I never thought about that until I was studying this and reading this the last couple days. This woman probably didn't experience physical touch for 12 years. For 12 years. The need to constantly wash everything and expense because of the financial implications of the chronic illness, she's probably without income because she's unemployable, and a cultural in a culture dominated by shame by the shame and or honor motif, the woman experiences embarrassment and exclusion, right? And and I just imagine like after 12 years, this woman, like, she's probably getting close to the point of dying, right? You, you can't. I mean, even if you have 21st century uh, medicine that we have today, if, if you're if you're bleeding on that level, like, your body can only take so much. So I just imagine, like, this woman, she's got to be getting to the. Uh, Close close to death and she's at the end of a rope and, and it's really interesting to me that even though she's at the end of a rope even though she tried everything and it didn't work like she says within herself if I can just touch the hem of his garment you know she's at the end of a rope and it says in the ver- in the in the in the text if you read the text it says that she heard about this guy Jesus she heard about Jesus. And so even though she had lost everything, even though she had spent everything, even though she was hopeless and she couldn't find any help, like she kept hearing about this guy, man. Hey, I want you to know, hey, you won't believe what we saw. There was this dude over here, and he was living in the cemetery, and he was cutting himself with rocks, and he was so crazy, and he lost his mind that they had to chain him up to the to the cemetery and the tombstones. But this guy, Jesus, walks into the cemetery, and he speaks to this guy, and suddenly this dude's in his he's in his sane mind, and, and You won't believe it, but I just saw him in the market and like he was buying stuff and he was talking to kids. And and, and 10 hours earlier, he was cutting himself with rocks. She heard about this dude named Jesus. There was this paralytic guy. You won't believe this. I was in a village over here, and there's this guy. I've seen him every day for 20 years. He was paralyzed. He was on his mat. And this dude, Jesus, walks in, and he says to this guy, I want you to stand up. I don't want you just to stand up, but I want you to pick up the thing that's been carrying you. You wouldn't believe it. I was standing right there, and I saw it. And this guy who I've seen paralyzed for years and years and years, I just saw it. He stood up, and he walked. And so I can just imagine the hope just slowly rising in this world. Just maybe, just maybe I'm not going to die. Just maybe I'm going to stop bleeding. Just maybe things can change about me. I don't know about you, but there's a 21st century version of that. You know, I don't know what your story is this morning, I don't know what you're going through, but I remember when I started to connect with Jesus and I heard about. People who were on drugs finding freedom. I heard about people who had been in and out of prison their whole lives, turning their lives around. And I and, and I heard about it, and it slowly it started to give me hope that maybe, just maybe, things can be different. Maybe things can be different. You know, she thinks says as she goes in, she's just gonna have this quick. I'm just gonna reach out, just touch it. I can slip away. And nobody ever know what happens. The moment she touches Jesus, he stops. Says who touched me. Now you gotta think of the irony here. I think Jesus has a sense of humor. I mean, think about it. Just imagine you're at a rock concert, there's thousands of people around, and someone turns to you and says, Who touched me? What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. We're, we're all, there's a phrase for it, I won't use it, you know what I mean? But we're all, we're all in each other's personal bubble, you know? Uh, what do you mean, who touched him? But there was a difference about the way that this lady touched Jesus. You know, I think this is true today. I think there's people that are in the proximity of Jesus, right? They're in the church world. They're they're, they're part of religious gatherings. Some people are even on a stage singing. There's people that are preaching. They're in the proximity of Jesus, but they're not truly touching him. They're not truly connecting with him. And that's why there's nothing coming out of them that is life. And so this woman, she, she touches Jesus. She touches Jesus, and his power comes out of her, and it says immediately she is healed. Immediately she's healed. And in that moment, you know, she put herself at great risk. I think she decided that her need, it trumped other people's rights. I think that's interesting. She knew in religious culture, hey, man, if I go in here, these people, they can really, they can hit me. They could stone me to death if they find out that I'm this person and I make them all clean. They could literally, according to their religious law, they could all pick up rocks. I don't know about you, but I would rather not die by being hit with rocks a hundred times. Like, hey, shoot me or something like that. I don't want to get hit with rocks a hundred times. They could have stoned her to death. But her, she had reached such a point of desperation that she was unwilling to not risk herself. And so it's interesting that she says to herself, hey, if I could just touch his garment, she didn't say if he touched me because she knew that in that world and in Jesus, Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi, among other things, obviously, Uh, but he was a first century Jewish rabbi and she knew that no Jewish rabbi would touch someone who was unclean, right? She knew that. And all those stories that she had heard, if they were in chronological order, the guy who was cutting himself with rocks, the paralytic, right? It talks about Jesus touching them or Jesus speaking directly to them. She felt like, man, like he's not going to want me, to touch me. He's not going to want to talk to me. There, there's no way he could touch me, but I know maybe if I touch him, then he can heal me. Maybe if I just brushed up against his clothes, It's like she was swimming through the crowd, which makes everyone she came into contact with unclean, which would have been a very large crowd of people. And so what happens? Jesus heals her, and he stops, and she finally admits, hey, it was me, it was me. And this is what happened. This is what happened. I can just imagine, even though she's excited, and she was healed, and she's not bleeding anymore, I can imagine the fear that she would have, even admitting what happened because she just made all these people unclean they could have probably still stoned her to death her confession in front of all those people is what separated her from the crowd. And I want to I want to challenge you with that thought today. When we can learn to be honest before God, when we can learn to confess to God and keep it real with God and keep it real with each other, like there is a freedom and there's a healing in that that, that will ch- change everything in your, in your life. Her confession separated from her crowd, but it invited the healing of Jesus. Right, this woman who was willing to risk and was willing to to, to acknowledge how things were—it was what brought the healing to her life. In this situation, Jesus publicly reorients the idea of purity around himself. Now, these people, all these people surrounding him, Jesus is redefining what is pure. He is redefining what is pure. He is redefining this woman's position in the family of God. Jesus right here is challenging the religious laws of exclusion. He redefines purity as anyone who comes in contact with him. It's not based on what they have done or not done, but on their willingness to press in and to reach out to who he is. Jesus in this world. Now, listen to me. Jesus in this situation t- is telling this woman that my blood is more powerful than your blood. What does that tell me? What does that tell me? What does it tell me? It tells what what, what is Jesus saying? What, what is he saying to me in 21st century Hamilton, Ohio this morning? Jesus is telling me, hey Patrick, my blood can stop. You're bleeding. Whatever it is that, that that is bleeding in your life, and it might, it might not be physical. It may be emotional. It may be psychological. There may be a relationship, a situation, whatever it is that's eating you alive that nobody knows about and you're ashamed of and you're embarrassed of. Patrick, I want you to know that my blood can stop your bleeding. So what is your bleeding this morning? What is it that's sucking life out of you? What is it that you've been carrying around all these years? What is that thing that you have never acknowledged or confessed? Jesus wants you to know this morning That his blood can stop your bleeding. Whatever you've been hiding, whatever you've been feeling disconnected and lonely and like there's no place for you, Jesus wants you to know that his blood can stop your bleeding. In this story, Jesus also redefines family and belonging. He was on the way to heal the preacher's kid, But he stopped and touched this woman who was an outsider. He redefines the inside and outsider. Before he heals the religious leader's kid, he stops and brings back into the family the one who has been thrown outside. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited because I've spent my whole life Feeling like an outsider. I spent my whole life feeling like people were judging me because of my past and my criminal record. You know what I mean? And all this stuff that I had done. And, and, And what Jesus does is he steps into that situation and he says, hey, I want you to know I'm announcing a new kingdom. A new way of life. And people that you think are on the outside are actually the ones that I'm pulling in. He redefines family. And he says something to this woman that is so powerful. He could have just healed her. He could have just made her better. But he says to her, A very specific term, he says, daughter. Go in peace. Your faith has made. You whole. What is he saying to her? The whole community had ostracized her. The whole community had pushed her out. The whole community said, You don't belong. You can't be here. You're going to make us unclean. You don't belong here. Jesus, what is he saying? Hey, those people out there that you don't think belong, I want you to know they are my sons and they are my daughters. And I'm not ashamed to acknowledge that in front of this crowd. I'm not ashamed to acknowledge that in front of this religious structure. And even though I know in a couple of years from now, you're going to crucify me and you're going to jam a crown of thorns on my head and you're going to uh, jam stakes into my wrists and my and my feet and you're going to stab me with a spear and I'm going to be executed naked in public. I want you to know that I'm not ashamed. I know what this is going to cost me to disrupt this religious culture. And let me tell you something, the French church, get ready. We're here to disrupt the religious culture of Hamilton Ohio. We're here. That's what we're here. Yeah, yeah. There's good people here. There's good churches here, but there's a lot of dead death. Religion, man, That we're we're gonna we're gonna call it out. We're gonna call it out. And so Jesus says, Hey man, woman, I want you to know you're no longer woman, your daughter. And I and, and if you feel like an outsider today, you don't feel like you belong. When Jesus looks at you, I don't care what your story is this morning, he loves you, he calls you daughter, he calls you son. And God's table is big enough for all of us. She was no less important than Jairus's son. Jairus's daughter, excuse me. He calls her daughter. was a term of endearment. There's a movie called The Shack. I don't know if anybody see this movie. It's called The Shack. Powerful movie. I don't care what people say about it. It's a good movie. Sometimes you got to use your imagination. It's art. Don't be so literal. You know what I mean? Well, God was a woman. And... Anyways, rabbit trail. But the woman who plays God... I, I, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't get emotional often. I feel things. But I've gone through a lot, so I'm learning to to show my emotion, but man, when I watched that movie, that movie was jacking me up in the theater. And there's there's the woman that plays God, I forget her name, she's an African-American act, actress, and she's amazing. I've seen her in several things. And she says to this guy, this guy, uh, what was his name, Mac in the movie, yeah, Mac. She says to him several times, and this guy had gone through, gone through this horrific thing with his daughter, I'm not going to tell you what happened because it'll give away the movie. But he goes through this horrible situation. He's angry at God. He wants nothing to do with God. And she just keeps saying to him in the movie, "Mac, I want you to know I am so fond of you." And I, I remember watching that movie, and she just kept saying that to him, no matter how angry he was, no matter how much he was lashing out. Mac, I want you to know that I am so fond of you that man that is God's posture towards you this morning that's God's posture to the people in Hamilton who feel like they're outsiders like when God looks at them he's not looking at them with just judgment and wrath but he's looking at them with compassion and grace and mercy I want to end with this thought Jesus was surrounded by people he was surrounded by people who knew religion they were following. Some people were there to see the hype. You know, there's people that go to church just to see hype. You know? They want to see the circus. Who's the, who's the guest speaker? What's, you know, they, they want to see the concert. They want to see the music. Um, I like music. I'm not knocking that. There's some people that are just there for the show. There's some people that are just there for the miracles and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. For signs and wonders, right? But this woman even though she was the one that was unclean, even though she was the one who shouldn't have been part of the religious community, in that story, she is the only one that publicly acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah. Out of that whole entire crowd, all those people, other than Jairus, she was the only one that acknowledged, and, and how did she acknowledge it? She says to herself, and again, if you go back into the original language, and the, and, the, and the hebrew she says she says to herself as she's walking towards jesus she says, if i can just touch the hem of his garment i will be made well now in this culture and in jewish culture uh, the rabbis they would wear what's called a prayer shawl. It's like a, you know, you ever see those like things women wear? Like those, I don't know, she's kind of got one on here. Uh, like just like that thing you throw over your shoulders. They would wear something like that. And and at the bottom of this prayer shawl, they would have these tassels, and they were called the the tzitzhi. And on the end of the tassels, uh, they were fringed and they were frayed. And in in the book of uh, Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 2, there was this prophecy, and this was years and years and years before Jesus ever came to this earth, before he was ever here. There was this prophecy that all the Jews would have known during that time. And the prophecy was this, when the Messiah comes, when the Mashiach comes, when, 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 when he comes, he's going to have healing. It even says there's going to be healing in his wings. When, the verse says this, when the son of righteousness arrives, he will come with healing in his wings. That word wings is where we get our word tassels and the edge, the edge of the garment. And so what is that woman doing when she says to herself, hundreds of years later, she's saying, Hey, I believe Malachi too. This is the dude we've been waiting for all this time. And even though all these people are surrounding it, they don't get it. They don't see it. In fact, they're some of the ones that are going to be in charge of crucifying him, right? And she says, despite her uncleanness, despite her being disconnected, despite her not having all the religious answers and not being part of the club, like she's the one that got it. And she says, man, like if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. What happened, man? She acknowledged that he was a messiah. She acknowledged that he was the Messiah. That, to me, is powerful. That, to me, is powerful. You can be around Jesus and never touch his garment. You can come to church every Sunday. You can come to the French. You can go to another church. You can go see the best preacher in all of America and all the world. And you can just be in the crowd. You can go to the best concert. You can go to the best conference. You can be surrounded by all these people. You know what I mean? And you you can not touch Jesus. And, and my, my my challenge to you this morning is don't just be in the crowd. Don't just be in the crowd. Don't just get around it. Well, like whatever that means for you, however you need to connect with God, like I just encourage you, man, don't settle for just being in the crowd. And, and, and this is what I would want to say to you. And this is how I would, would want to encourage you. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. And I just want to to speak to some of this stuff that this woman had gone through. You know, she felt like an outsider. Have have you ever felt like an outsider? Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? Have you ever felt like no matter how many times you washed, you couldn't, you couldn't get clean? I don't know about you, but I've felt that. I've experienced that. Have you ever struggled with something chronic that was just ongoing that you couldn't seem to find your way out of? You know the thing you've done, everything to overcome, but you just can't seem to find your way out? Have you suffered greatly with things and it just seems like things aren't getting better? but they're